Hello and welcome once again to Rasslin' Memories Then and Now on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. We're also available online where you can listen live and you can check out our archives at radionorthland.org. And you can also listen to us live and in the moment on the TuneIn app. Yes, we're our, all three of our Pioneer 90.1 Pioneer 90.1 stations, take two, uh, are covered on this uh, app, so it's very cool, and there's lots of different ways to check us out. You can also listen to the archives. Yes, I mentioned that. We've got, uh, gosh, about 1,005 years of archives on there at radionorthland.org. Glenn Broggett with you uh, on this edition of Rasslin' Memories Then and Now. Very happy to be here. Yeah, you know, recording, as we're recording today... I'm in the middle of my, my recovery from an emergency surgery I had to have uh, about a week and a half ago. And, uh, yeah, I had to have my appendix removed. And that, that, uh, that definitely took a lot of uh, steam out of me for a while. I'm, I'm just kind of starting to get my bearings back. But, you know, I'm good enough this week because I heard that uh, Mr. McCurdy, the Grizzle Vet, has booked a main event guest that I've had a chance to talk to on the show here previous. And I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say again. And, uh, you know, I got to give credit where credit is due. I want to bring him in right now, the Grizzle Vet, Mike McCurdy. Mike, uh, welcome. Uh, and, yeah, another round right. of wrestling Memories then and now, good man. Oh, yeah, man. Glad to see you're, uh, you're back in the saddle again. It was, a, it was a little worried for you. I told you, you know. You, you need to stay away. I know extreme rules was a little, was a little rough, you know, and you had a bad reaction to it, you know, but I'm glad you got everything taken care of. I'm glad, I'm glad you're good. Yeah. You know, seriously, you know, my wife, she had that, she had that same thing here. Oh God, 10, 12 years ago. And we had to rush her to the emergency room and yeah, same thing. Came close to rupture, had to remove it and all that. So I luckily have all my body parts still, nothing has been removed from me yet. So I have not experienced the thrill of, uh, you know, appendicitis or appendectomies or anything like that. So. Well, well, man, it, it's something that you, you don't want to invite. If it, it just it happens, it happens. But yeah, it don't discriminate either. But yeah, it, it's just kind of good to get back into the swing of things. Uh, you know, get back to watching a little more wrestling again uh, during my time off. I had a chance to keep up with uh, AEW and Impact and a little bit of NXT. But I'm more of an AEW Wednesday guy. I mean, I don't want to disparage NXT by any means but uh you know i gotta have one one show at a time uh, you know i get a little too busy with my work schedule to watch everything but i know you've covered you get it covered uh, that end of the nxt uh equation i i do my best to watch a little bit of everything i i even watch a great show about two o'clock in the morning on a sunday on a sunday here in uh, in texas and all that we might talk about that a little bit uh with our guest tonight after we uh you know discuss the business at hand but yeah I, I tend to watch a little bit of everything yeah you've got a nice variety uh hey i'm gonna let you do the intros and stuff and i'll, I'll kick back for a little bit try to and add in some stuff here from time to time but i'm gonna let you uh handle the the, the heavy lifting this week i'm on restriction so i better uh you know i don't want to break the rules don't worry man we won't do more than 10 pounds of talking at any point in time so i think i think you'll be safe <laughs> good 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 to know my man but, you know, uh, for our listeners, like you said, he's, he's been on the guest before. I've had the chance to, uh, you know, interview him on multiple occasions on a variety of different shows. He was recently a guest on uh, Offshoots TV, uh, which you can find on Facebook Live every Thursday night, 10 p.m. We'll be doing that again, uh, you know, well, by the, on the time of this recording tonight at 10 p.m. But you can always go back and search for Offshoots TV on Facebook and you get to see the Grizzle Vet live and in person. The face made for radio on TV. It's amazing. But, uh, you know, let's get to our guest today. A few weeks ago, um, Glenn, right before you went down, we had the unfortunate passing of uh, a legend here in the Texas area, Killer Tim Brooks. Um, a lot of our listeners are going to know that name. And I've been part of two different tribute shows so far since Tim's passing. This will be the third. And I'm just honored to bring this man on as our guest tonight to talk about you know, a man that he considered, you know, it was his friend, a man that he shared many a dressing room with, and uh, he shared a few car rides with, too, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, because we're going to talk a little about the career and the times of, you know, Killer Tim Brooks from a man with a man who knew him well, and that is none other than world-class championship wrestling referee, author, and a man you can see, as I said, at 2 a.m. on Sunday mornings on, uh, on Upside TV, Mr. James Beard. <laughs> James, welcome to the show. Hey, Michael, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I caught up on my rest from uh, watching SWE uh, at 2 a.m. on a Sunday. Just kidding. Right, that's a, it's that's a great show, James. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And you're doing better than Glenn, though, I hear. 
Yes, yes, yes. Although Glenn being laid up with the appendicitis and all that, I could have sent him, uh, you know, the links on Fight TV to watch SWE and all that. So he might have been able to catch up on some of the great Texas wrestling that, uh, right. you know, you're a part of right now. Right. Yeah, that's, it's just pretty exciting right now. And as I said, you know, towards the end of the show, you know, we'll talk a little bit about that, what you're doing now. But right now we brought you on because part of what we do here on Wrestling Memories is we like to, you know, not just talk with legends, but remember those that have passed. And unfortunately, just a few weeks ago, we lost killer Tim Brooks and Tim Brooks here in the Texas area. Every, I, I have not heard a bad thing about Tim Brooks. Everybody loved Tim Brooks. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, Keith Lee had some great things to say about him. Keith Lee was uh, trained by a killer and it's a major loss for the, uh, you know, the, not just Texas wrestling, but just wrestling in general. So, uh, James, if you don't mind, I'd just like to, you know, let's just, let's just talk about the killer, the man, the wrestler, trainer, promoter, you know, that's what we're here for today. And I know, you know, he was a good friend of yours. So can you tell us kind of just a little bit about killer and your relationship with him and maybe share just a couple stories that might be, you know, friendly for tele for radio at uh, noon on a Sunday? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, well, you know, I've known killer or new killer for, Oh, I got over 30 years. Uh, yeah, he, uh, and when I first met him, I, I probably at the sportatorium in some way, he was, he also uh, ran his own promotion there down the, down the road from the sportatorium, uh, at the Longhorn ballroom. And I never actually worked for him there, but I'd, I'd go up there once in a while and kind of spend a little time around him. And of course we worked together at the sportatorium and, and, and in a lot of other situations, went to Japan together. Um, yeah, he, he is a guy that, that, uh, I, I just spent a lot of time around, you know, he was one of our regular guys and, 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 uh, got to be a very good friend and, and a guy that, that, uh, not only appreciated in that respect, but, uh, one of the, one of the, one of the most dependable and best, uh, best wrestlers in the world is just simply, simply one of the best, uh, a hall of famer. Now, one thing I, I, I found out about that, I did not realize this, and uh, listening to the Jim Cornette experience, he did not realize it either, was that he was family with Dick Murdoch, who was one of the ones who trained him. I did not realize that. Uh, yeah, he and, he and Dick were actually cousins. Uh, they were both uh, around the Welch, from around the Waxahachie area. And uh, he, uh, you know, they, they grew up together with friends and cousins and you know, Ken folks and, and Dick actually got, got killer involved in the wrestling business. Uh, they, they'd been in the army and came in, went out to, to, uh, Amarillo where Dick was working at the time. And, and they kind of, kind of threw him in the mix out there. And, and, uh, that's how his, how his career started. And he went off on his own and made a name for himself in Detroit area and different places and, and done very well. You know, you, you look at it, you look at a man like killer Tim Brooks and, you know, you see him, I knew him from the world class when, you know, he was out there. And honestly, I think he's, and he said it himself, I think he's the only man who's ever defeated, like, every one of the Von Erichs, including the dad. I'm pretty sure he's got victories over every member of the Von Erich wrestling family, which that alone yeah. is uh, kind of an amazing feat. But what was it about Brooks that just made him who he was? Because you see him walk in the ring, he had the basic, the black trunks, the boots. He wasn't flashy. He went in, he fought, and he left. But the fans, but he got the fans in. The fans, you hated him or you loved him. I don't know how many people loved him, well, but I know you hated him. Well, it, it goes back to that old thing that Johnny Valentine once said. You know, you may not, you not believe in wrestling, but it's real. But you'll believe I am. And, and Killer was that way. I mean, if you ever, if you ever got in the ring with him, I, you know, I, even as a referee, I, I believed him. You know, and I, and I know the fans did too. So that. That was it, you know. He was he was uh, he was the real deal, you know. He got in there. He didn't. He, he admitted he wasn't technical, you know. He, he was a what he called himself a uh, furniture mover, and uh, and that's the way his style was. I mean, when he got in there, it was something was going to happen, you know. Somebody was going to get somebody was going to get hurt, and and uh, that's just just the way he went about things. You're not going to see Killer doing a lot of chain wrestling any or any scientific holds, or pretty much, right? Yes. No. No. He didn't do a lot of that. He, he was a he was a guy who was gonna he's gonna let you know he was in there with you. You know, and and it, it was always physical and always brutal sometimes. But uh, uh, you know that 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 was that was what people came to see him. And you know why they came to see him. He was a 
uh, he, he was he was just the, ultimately the, the 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 real deal, you know. Now you said you've known him, you knew him for over thirty years. Do you remember like your your first time working with him, first time in the ring, whether just the first time meeting? Because obviously, yeah. you know, he had been working for many way. years before that. But what was your first experience? Um, my first experience, uh, you know, it's been so long ago, it's kind of hard to say. I, I, I do remember that, um, uh, you know, one of the one of, one of the times that a lot of people talk about that, that I, I was in the ring with him, that, that I've told this story before, and, and he had a guy on the ropes who was choking him, you know, and, and I was trying to get him to stop. He wouldn't stop. I, I, I kind of bit over there and to, to tap him on the shoulder, and he said, uh, he said, pull me back by my ears. And I, I thought to myself, well, there's no way I'm doing that because he'll come after me, you know. And, and uh, he said it again. I said, well, okay, so I did it. And sure enough, he turned around, wheeled at me, and came at me, and I pointed at my referee shirt, and and he backed off. And uh, you know, I thought, hmm. <laughs> after it was after after it was all over and said and done, you know, he came back and said, you know, it it, it, it I, I, you weren't showing me up. You were making it look like I was hard to handle. And uh, and not only that, but it got you over as a guy who was willing to go that far to keep me from doing it. You know, and and uh, uh, so you know that that, that was a kind of a learning experience with, with killer that I went through and, and, and over the years I got, I became very comfortable working with him and, and, and in that style because he liked for me to do what I do. And that, that, that's the way I work. I'm, I'm kind of been there in, in, in a guy's face or, or physical with him sometimes. And, and, and he, he liked that and, and that made him fun to work with for me. Yeah. You know, I'm just kind of, you know, we're going through here doing a little research and all that and looking at, you know, Brooks's career. Like I said, here, you know, everybody knows in the Texas area, but he started off in Detroit, Toronto. He wrestled in, you know, obviously here in San Antonio. He was here in Dallas. He went to Puerto Rico. He wrestled in, see, I did not know this. I did not know he wrestled like in Montreal. He also wrestled Stampede. Um, You know, I did not realize all that. You know, mainly I knew him from, you know, the Texas area. And obviously he also wrestled in the Portland territories, and we've heard some great stories from him about, you know, Piper and all that and working in the, uh, in the Portland territories. But did he ever share any of the stories from, you know, working these other territories that, you know, any that stand out to you that you could share that once again, like I said, a little family friendly, because I told a couple on a, a tribute show that about a incident in Oregon that may not be so friendly on a Sunday. Yeah. He, uh, you know, he actually, he actually started out, like I said, in, in the Amarillo territory and had his first experiences in the ring there. But, um, uh, he, he was smart enough to know that, that in order to build a, a reputation, he was going to have to get out and do it on his own. And, and he went, he, he did make a, he went to Detroit first and, and, uh, kind of worked underneath there for a little while and he left and he came back as and, and they gave him a big push and, and uh, and and that's kind of what set him set him off really as, as a big name in the business. And he did work all those other places, you know, that you talked about. And and he always he was always on top. You know, he was always a guy that that uh, you could count on to be a main event type wrestler and and and, uh, and a guy that could draw people. And then that's that's the key to it. In those days, is the real key to it. And and that's that's uh, that's what Killer Brooks always did everywhere he went. Um, and when he come back to Texas, you know, he came back as, as a, as a top guy and, and, you know, he was, he was a guy we could count on at, at all times to, to, uh, provide great matches and, 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 uh, always put fans in the seats. So, you know, he, he, he was a, he was a blessing to have around here. Uh, as far as stories go, yeah, he, he would tell me some stories about, especially he had a tendency to really, uh, uh, love his experiences in the Portland West coast area and he and Roddy Piper with your buddies and, and they got into a, a few things that probably shouldn't be mentioned on, on, in the public, but, uh, uh they were, uh, they were quite a pair from what I could, I've, I've heard, you know, he, um, he had quite a time there. He enjoyed that, that experience with Roddy. Yeah. I had the chance to meet killer in 2006 <laughs> at the CAC. He got the, uh, uh, men's wrestling award that year. And, uh, Joe, Susan, and I were there, and we had the opportunity to sit down and have breakfast with him. And uh, he, he regaled us with a couple of stories. You know, I, I, I told you one um, when you were on Offshoots TV a couple weeks ago with us involving uh, 
it involved a hot needle and an infection. We're not going to talk about where or, or how that infection came about, but uh, definitely uh, interesting breakfast conversation. But he loved to tell the stories. You know, he told us the story about uh, uh, Roddy Piper and him. They were in a they were driving back to the show, and Piper had been fooling around. From what I understand, with another man, another wrestler's lady, and the guy found out about it. And he told him that he had put a snake uh, in their car. And they didn't believe it at first, but as time goes on, you know, Killer tells the story that they had the, the heat up and they were stomping their feet and everything because that would make the snake kind of keep in hiding and stay back and, you know, because yeah. they didn't want to take the chance. And then it turned out there actually was a snake in the car. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, heard quite a, I've heard quite a few of uh, his experiences with Roddy in the, in, in the Portland area. And, and uh, like I said, some of them probably shouldn't be talked about in public, but... Uh, um, he, he was he was he was a fun-loving guy. He liked to have a good time, but but he was also very serious when he got into the ring. That 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 was one thing that you could always count on. Well, see, that was the other fun thing about when we were you know having breakfast on that day. He talked about Portland all and talked about how he worked there and he was you know in Portland he worked as a baby. And the guys that were with him were like, "When the hell were you ever a baby?" He goes, "I had to be in Portland." You know, he couldn't be, he couldn't be a bad guy in Portland or whatever. So, you know, that was the one place where he was ever the, where he was ever the fan favorite, where the fans cheered him. And that was in uh, the Portland territory. Because everywhere else, yeah. you know, killing Tim books came to the ring. It was the, uh, it was, it was the good guys that had to worry. You had, you know, the Von Erics and them boys, they had to worry because Brooks was going to come in there to stomp them. That's pretty much all of what it was about. Yeah. He, he, he didn't back off from anybody. You can count on that. Um, one thing though, is like you said, you know, Killer had great stories. The, the few times I've had a chance to see him and all that, uh, you know, he always had a story to tell. And I know when you were on Offshoots TV with us a couple of weeks ago, you know, you had a couple of stories about, uh, you know, riding the roads with Tim Brooks. So, you know, if you don't mind, yeah. if you can maybe tell a couple of stories about, uh, you know, you and Tim Brooks on the road. And I believe a couple involved Skandor, Akbar and all that. But, you know, you got yeah. a couple of road stories you can yeah. share with us? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, Tiller wasn't really a much, that much of a river himself, um, but but we did have some experiences, you know, on, on the road that were kind of funny. Uh, the, the, the one you're talking about, we we were in um, somewhere in Mississippi, I think, doing TV, and um, it was it was late. I was in the I was in the main event, and Killer and and, and Akbar were already out in the car waiting on me and, and we hadn't gotten paid yet. And it was, it was one of those nights that act was getting frustrated because of, because it was so late and he felt like we should have, we should already been out of there, which he was right. We should have been, uh, anyway, I finally got out to the car and we, they finally came out and paid it, gave us our money. And, and, and act was just, I mean, he was so mad. He didn't even want to talk and killer and I were going to be quiet. We weren't, <laughs> we were going to agitate him any more than he already was because he was driving. And he took off. He was driving about 900 miles an hour down the interstate. And he finally turned on Interstate 20 in, uh, uh, I guess, I think it was in Jackson. But anyway, we, we crossed over the Louisiana line, and he was, going, he was blaring down the highway. And, and the next thing we know, we had the lights behind us. And, and <laughs> Ack was cussing. He was hitting the, hitting the steering wheel, you know, just yelling and screaming, you know, that he was how mad he was about it, you know. And he pulled over to the side. And um, the officer pulled up behind us and, and we rolled Lorenzo's down. We could hear everything was going on. He asked Ack to get out of the car and Ack got out and walked to the back and showed the guy's license and the guy looked at him a couple of times, took a couple of takes and he said, Jim Weaver, he said, are you Skandar Akbar? And uh, Ack turned baby face in about two seconds. He was said, well, yes, I am. And he started talking about wrestling. And it was going on and on and on and on and on. And Tiller and I were just rolling in the car laughing. And, uh, uh, you know, he kept him back there for 10 or 15 minutes and, and, and just forgot about the ticket. Told us to be careful and go on our way. And I got back in the car. He kind of looked at us and we, we just laughed our asses off. But uh, that, that, that was one of the funniest things I'd seen with, 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 with Ack. And, and, you know, it was just one of those experiences, you know, you had to kind of be there to, to appreciate, but, but uh, it was fun. We had a lot of fun like that on the road. All right, I'm going to pass the mic over to you for a few minutes and all that and give you a chance. I'm sure you got a couple of questions. Want to do a little, little, yeah, I can't talk today either. Learn a little the life and times of Killer Timber. 
All right. Yeah, thanks. And so I'm going to add just a few uh, bits here to the conversation, gentlemen. I'm Like I said, I'm uh, still kind of in recovery, but I got, ah, I'm just enjoying listening to some of the stuff already. Uh, you know, with, with, with Killer Tim, uh, one of the things that I've been able to, thanks to the... Uh, the magic of YouTube, you know, there's just so much content that has been put up in the last 10, 12 years uh, with classic wrestling, people having the old VHS transfers, you know, and people, right. I mean, yeah. I, I call it, I call it constructive hoarding. Uh, but uh, <laughs> what I, what, the, the thing I really caught on, because I, one of the things on my list to watch was, uh, and, I, and I hope, and I think it's still up there. And I, I definitely, for listeners who are curious about some different legs of Tim, uh, Killer Tim's latter part of his career uh one of the things i really thought was uh, a real interesting angle was uh, the one he had back in 1983 and he was uh actually involved with larry zabisco and the thing is it was one of those t- times and uh later on ted dibiase uh, duplicated it to, to a degree when andre defeated hulk hogan was Killer Tim had won this uh, the NWA Heavyweight Championship in the Georgia Territory. He uh, won it from Paul Orndorff. And right. Larry Zabisco decided to uh, buy the belt. And uh, Killer Tim, he said, what was it, about $25,000 or something like that was the, 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 uh, the angle for which, uh, you know, how much he was going to pay for it. But I thought that was very interesting. Right. And I thought it was very interesting that uh, they would decide to, uh, of people, you know, like, like Killer, putting the belt on him and then having him kind of be a little bit of a transition champion for Larry Zbysko. Did Killer ever talk anything about working in Georgia, per se, in general? Because uh, he wasn't there all that long, but uh, he still has such a, a memorable storyline. Of course, the title ended up being stripped. Zbysko won it eventually in the tournament, but that was one of those things that I was, you know, I saw when he passed away. I ended up going back and re-watching, and I just found it so fascinating that he was kind of like a thug for hire, but he was championship uh, ready. Well, it, it, it fit. Tim's personality very well because he, you know, for him it was all about making the money, you know, and and uh, and not about championships so much. He never cared about that, and and that was kind of a shoot really for him. He, he just never cared about that. You know, it was all about doing the right thing to make money, make a living, and and, uh, and that kind of fit in with 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 his persona. You know, it, it, it yeah, offering twenty five thousand dollars for a championship belt was yeah, okay, here I'll go do something else. <laughs> very, very much so. And, uh, you know, it wasn't all that long uh, he was in Georgia, but he ended up uh, heading over to uh, another promotion that I've enjoyed kind of following through YouTube, Southwest Championship Wrestling uh, out in San Antonio with uh, Joe Blanchard. Right. Now, that was where uh, he uh, he didn't sell his title off. He was actually uh, the Southwest Heavyweight Champion. I think, if anything, even more so than world class, I think that the Southwest Championship Wrestling was probably the the better fit for for Tim because of just because of his persona and his uh, roughhouse style. And Southwest wasn't afraid to uh, you know get the color, if you know what I mean. And that doesn't talk yeah, about your, your set. Yeah, they had a lot of guys that that had that similar style down there. You know, the Bushwhackers, but before they were uh, homogenized a little bit by WWE or else. Uh, and you know Jonathan Boyd and all those guys, and, and uh, you know, they they did have a they did have some guys down there that were willing to scramble, you know, and get in there and, and fight, and that, that's just that was their style, you know, and, and it fit Killer pretty well. Oh, absolutely! And another place uh, too where he ended up working was also uh, in Puerto Rico. Did he ever uh, talk about Puerto Rico with you? I mean, that I mean Puerto Rico, of course, uh, it has has its own infamy uh, with you know the the whole Bruiser Brody uh, in stabbing and death yeah. incident. But did, did what a killer? What was did he ever talk about it? And what was his perspective of, of being down there working uh, for the likes of Carlos Colon and uh, a crowd that you know it wasn't exactly one of the more buttoned down uh, ter- places to to wrestle because. Because, I mean, you hear so many stories, I mean, aside from just the Brody incident, but you hear so many in-ring stories of Puerto Rico with, with uh, the fans and uh, the, the rock throwing and the fans selling rocks and, and finding ways to torture uh, the uh, the heel. I mean, there's probably a part of him that kind of reveled in it, but also there was that, that element of just unexpected. I mean, it was a different animal even uh, towards the end of the kayfabe era, especially in Puerto Rico. Did he have much to say about just being down there and... Uh, biding his time and being a hand uh, for Carlos? Yeah, he, he, he talked about it a little bit. I mean, he, he, he enjoyed the wrestling part down there, but uh, he was the politics weren't, weren't always uh, to his, his liking. And, and 
uh, and, and he always had to kind of watch his back there as far as the money and that kind of thing is concerned. And, and, and that was to him, that was the most important thing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the fans down there were crazy. I mean, you, they, they throw rocks or, or, uh, spark plugs or whatever they can grab. And in fact, they even, they even have a little booth set up where they sell things for people to grow, you know? So it was, it was a, it's a, it's a different animal down there. But you know, the wrestling itself, he, I think he, I think he, uh, I liked and, and liked that style, but uh, once uh, once what happened to Bruiser happened, then you know you know that was that was it for him. He he, he would have nothing else to do with him. Yeah, I was going to ask if that was uh, the case of him not uh, you know returning down there. I mean, he he was there of course beforehand and and worked some matches yeah. with uh, Chicky Star and he uh, he had uh, Miguel Perez Jr. and he teamed up with Eric Embry. But it's just a case. I mean, there was some people that still went down there later on and, and didn't. See Seem to be all that affected but you know that was such a shadow that was cast over and just an ugly shadow cast over the business uh with, with the passing of uh frank goodish yeah yeah he and bruiser were really close friends and and uh that that definitely affected him in in, in a lot of ways and, and uh that you know that that was enough to keep him from wanting to go back there for sure Oh yeah, I mean, I mean the matches they had together. I mean, uh, yeah, Brody, of course, was his own animal. Man, he was uh, he was a mercenary of mayhem. I think one of the Aptor magazines referred to him as. And boy, you couldn't have picked a better dancing partner or a better opponent uh, for some of those wild matches. I mean, Brody had Abdullah and many others, but I think uh, some of the stuff with Killer Tim too has to be mentioned because Tim had that that he was you know he had that take no crap sort of uh, way about him. And uh, when those guys got in there, even though they were probably the best of friends, you know, it, it looked a little bit on the snug side. There was a few uh, few bits of blood uh, that trickled on the mat and outside of the ring. And it was just, you know, just such a different animal, the, the way the pro wrestling business kind of was, just in regards to uh, the more blood and guts back then. Now we got flippy yeah. floppy for some of the time, but I mean, it just seems like, uh, you know, yeah. it just seems like it's been erased. Uh, and those were matches that, yeah, you weren't going to go there to see uh, him throw a, a, a nice drop kick or a beal throw. It was, uh, let's see how much crap we could throw around. Let's see uh, that chain. Let's uh, get some color. Let's have some fun. It, it was just Brody and, and, and Tim were, you know, again, they're kind of the last of the old school guys like that. They were just. You looked at him and and you were afraid of him. You you had that genuine fear, even as a, a fan, whether it be in the United yeah, States, Puerto Rico, or, or even Japan. You'd better be, uh, because they they would come at you, you know. And and you know, like I said, he he, he considered himself a furniture mover. That that was his style, and, uh, and which meant that you know, if anything is in the way, he's just going he's going to get it out of the way. And, and people, uh, whatever, you know, and. And uh, and he and he and Bruiser took that everywhere they went. They, that 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 didn't change from one place to the other, no matter what what territory they were in. Uh, in Japan, they, you know, they were they were kind of revered over there because of that. You know that that they they, uh, they were respected because of that. Yeah. And, uh, and, and as a tag team, they were they were pretty brutal. You know, a lot of people, you know, when they talk about Japan, you know, they talk about your Stan Hansens, you know, and your and. We mentioned Bruiser Brody, the Terry Gordy's, the Steve Williams through the years, but yeah. Killer. Now, how did he? How active was he with with tours of Japan uh, for a while? Because I mean, you mentioned he did go over, but was he? How many yeah. years uh, did he go, end up going through the? And uh, who? Now, I'm going to ask you to talk about who did he work with? Was he a Baba or an Anoki guy, or did he end up working for both? I know there was some strong rivalries between All Japan and New Japan. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, what was that was experience a, he was for him? A Baba guy. Oh yeah, yeah, he worked for Baba. Uh, but, but it, it, yeah, in fact, he was, uh, um, you know, when, uh, when, uh, um, killer, I mean, when, when bruiser switched from, from Baba to Anoki that one time, uh, killer was involved in that. They were, they were tag team partners and, and, uh, uh, he, he, they refused to go to the ring. He told the story one time about how. A bruiser told him, they said, we're not going to the ring. We're, you know, we're not going to do the job, blah, blah, blah. And, and um, uh, <laughs> they finally talked him into it, and it turned into a, a real brawl out there. But uh, And then, then Brody, of course, left and went to the other company. And, and Killer was kind of left in the left on his own there for a little while. But uh, he was he was standing by his friends. He wasn't going to back off of that. So 
Or, yeah, that had to have know, been a real rock and a hard place situation, though, considering just yeah, you know some of the defections, yeah. you know, from the major stars that yeah. would move from one territory to another. I mean, it was rather seismic back then over in Japan because, I mean, you had you know Baba and Anoki with their own little behind the scenes uh, stuff through the years and their jockeying for position, especially with Gaijin right. bringing in, in guys for tours. But uh, for for Tim to kind of be uh, in the crossfire, I mean, I mean, for sticking by his friend, I mean that that that, that couldn't have been easy on his own bottom line i mean but he he, he definitely well, had well, the, the the he definitely had yeah. the, the the presence of thought to stick with a friend but that just had to be a little bit just my, going through that sort of uh wrestling politics that variation of it in the far east yeah well he he, he, he told me that he, he offered to actually do the job you know and and uh get him out of that but bruiser wouldn't let him do it because he was his partner and uh finally they the the, the the way he put it is bruisers told him that when they finally came and told him that to, you know, they really begged him to come to the ring. They asked him about, you know, do this, do this. And, and bruisers said, just tell them when we get in the ring to, to give us, to give them their best. And that was, that was his, uh, that was his approach to it. They walked in the ring, they turned into a brawl, you know? So, and I suppose uh, they, they've done, the, did their best to clear the rows out at some of those Japanese matches. Cause I mean, I've watched some of that yeah, stuff where those wrestlers, yeah. man, they felt those fans were, were genuinely like getting up and moving. I mean, it's amazing when you watch Brody stuff and, and Stan stuff just to see how, uh, just how genuine that, that, that it's still real to me. Damn it feel was. And it was really real right. when you got Brody whipping a chain and you got Stan with his cowbell and rope. I mean, and then you got killer. He, he ain't going to be sitting there, uh, you know, playing tiddlywinks. No, no. And, 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 you know, you, if you're a fan, you better get out of the way because that, that chain or rope or whatever they've got in their hands is going to, it's going to get you. And they're not going to, they're not going to be too, uh, uh, concerned about whether they do or not. And Stan's damn eyesight. I mean, even if he was not trying to get you, I mean, he'd probably uh, conk a few just even unintentionally. Uh, well, most of what they did was intentional. I can promise you that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> keeping them at bay hey, hey that was just the the, the beast of uh, what it was back and, and then you know thankfully yeah. again through through video and through well, other and, things we're able to see it and that's that's why you, they're so still still brody is so revered over there um, because that's what he was you know and and that's what they loved about him and and uh um you know he's he still he's like a like a wrestling god almost and you go back over there now and it's still the same way it's just that that long-lasting legacy, and you know, you talk about Tim and and, and how tight he was in with with uh, Brody. Uh, there was even a time that he ended up working under the handle of a kayfabe brother up uh, with the Creechmans up there, uh, you know, at, in Montreal for uh, International up there. So I got I have yet to see any any tape on that. I'm gonna have to look around and dig a little bit, but I kind of I got a kick out of looking around and seeing he worked under the moniker of Buster Brody. Now, he, yeah, he could probably bust yeah. your nose, but it was just kind of amusing. Did and it was in 1986 uh, so did you ever did he ever get any feedback from Brody about that uh, about being the uh, kayfabe uh, brother was there any ribbing about that just kind of you know just joshing between friends about you're my brother now well you've always been a brother but you're now my kayfabe yeah. brother yeah yeah I, I don't I don't know why they decided to do that exactly other than that but uh, uh, yeah he, he mentioned it a few times but he never made a big deal out of it um, I think I think he just he just considered him that close, you know, that close of a, a, a friend, and, and uh, he was willing to take on the name if he had to or do whatever he had to do to, to further that, I guess. But, uh, you know, they, they were tight, for sure. Now, he ended up working for Fritz. Now, he's worked for, you know, he, he was a, your classic example of the territory traveling wrestler. What was his relationship like that you could gather with, with Fritz von Erich uh, through the years? I, I know he worked for other promotions and even had his own promotion. But how did Killer feel about, uh, you know, both you know, Fritz von Erich and some of the boys, uh, the von Erich brothers and stuff? We mentioned uh, at the top of the show about him beating right. all the major brothers. But what was the feeling? Because, you know, you get a lot of hot and cold through the years about uh, what life was like uh, working in world class and, and for the Von Ericks and some of their the stuff that they had to deal with with their own substance and own personal demons but what was 
you could gather from from Killer about his his run and his relationship with with Fritz von Eric. I mean, was it a good solid one, or is it? Let's just be real. What 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 was the situation like? Because he did work for Fritz from time to time, but did he have a, a good relation? Was it on steady ground, or or was it just one of those things where you know he worked for a little bit and it was just time to get out? He had really no feeling about it. It was uh, his relationship with Fritz. Uh, from what from what I can tell, what he saw, he talked about was. Kind of like a lot of people's. I mean, it was it was up and down sometimes. Uh, for the most part, he, he got along with him okay, and Fritz appreciated the, his style and, and and the fact that that he was the kind of uh, performer that he was, and uh, he was always welcome back. So you know that in, in that regard, they you know they got along okay. Uh, Killer did run a, 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 a yeah. I wouldn't even call it really so much an opposing. Uh, promotion it was right down the road from the sportatorium at the longhorn um but he gave a lot of guys uh, he was training a lot of guys he was giving a lot of guys uh, an opportunity to work who weren't being used at the sportatorium and and in a, in a lot of ways it kind of benefited the sportatorium and, and fritz because uh some of the guys would stick around just to do that and and work with, with killer you know when they were ready to go back to sportatorium they'd take them back you know so it, it was a um, it, it wasn't an adversarial uh, relationship, it, from what I could tell. It was just, it was a business deal, and uh, I think Fritz appreciated him and appreciated his talent and, and uh, respected him, and, and that, that's about all you can ask for in, a, in that kind of situation. Mm-hmm. You know, what made Killer, I mean, he, from being in the ring, and of course he, he picked up so much knowledge through the years, but what really made him to uh, decide that he was going to, you know, not only be this in-ring presence, but also, you know, like you said, he, he opened up a promotion. He did, you know, the yep. NAWA Pro Wrestling School as well. What made him decide that to, to get into business on the business side of things? And can you talk a little bit about uh, some of the guys he trained as well? Because you've just mentioned a little bit that, that uh, some of those guys got a lot of exposure through not only his promotion, but Fritz and, and at the Sportatorium as well. But can you tell us a little bit about what made him decide or what you can remember, can gather from... I made him decide to like get into the business from the behind the scenes standpoint and and start uh, training these guys uh, through the years, which uh, ran up uh, damn near up to his, his passing when he couldn't do it anymore uh, because of the cancer and all of that stuff. I mean, there's a long legacy that goes from Keith Lee all the way to the beginning here. Uh, it just fascinates yeah, me about yeah, he, that, that part of his life. Yeah, he, he was. Keller was always a good businessman. I mean, that was one thing he always stood out to me about him. He, he, he'd take care of business, and he was always uh, sometimes a, a, a very uh, cold businessman, as far as that goes, very black and white about it. But but uh, he always cared about the business. He always cared about passing it along, and, and it was a kind of a passion for him. He, he, he loved training. He liked to do that. He liked to teach guys. And, uh, and, and a lot of guys uh, who, who he trained went on and did pretty well, you know, and, and, uh, uh, of course, Keith is, is a, a prime example of that. He was, he was a, one of the guys that came on a little later on in, in Tiller's training situation, but, but he not only trained, but he, you know, he, he ran the promotion and he had a little TV out of it. And, and, uh, so the guys got to experience a lot of different aspects of the business by working with Killer and training with Killer. And, uh, yeah, he was, he was just very good at it. You know, I, I, always appreciated that side of him because uh, I, I kind of share that thing with him. You know, I, I want to pass it along, and I want to want to teach the younger younger generation how to do it, do it right. And, and that was something that he, he, he was very adept at and, and, uh, uh, and really loved to do. I'm going to bring uh, Mike McCurdy back into the conversation. Mike, I'm going to let you handle the, the drive-in here uh, through the rest of uh, this edition of Wrestling Memories Then and Now with uh, our favorite referee of all time, Mr. James Beard. I'm actually kind of a Tommy Young fan of myself as far as the referees go. But... Bite your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, actually, you know, after, you know, Tim's passing and all that, you know, a lot of people, you know, offered their own testimonials of him and kind of paid tribute to him. And one of the more interesting ones that I thought was a fan wrote in, uh, emailed into uh, Jim Cornette and the, and the Jim Cornette drive through about his experiences with Tim Brooks and uh, Cornette had mentioned that, you know, he didn't really have any, or any time with Tim Brooks because as Tim was leaving uh, the Dallas area, that's when, you know, Cornette and the express were coming in and he made a comment that I thought was interesting. And he said that 
he didn't know if there was a place for a guy like Tim Brooks now. He didn't know if there was a place where that character would fit. You know, do you agree with that? Well, Is there a place, still a place for something like that? Yeah, well, you got to understand where Jim's coming from. And, and Jim is a, a a very traditional-minded type guy. And, 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 and in that respect, oh, right. I'm, I'm kind of in with him myself. And, and, yeah, I mean, he's not a, he's not a spot guy. Richie Hiller wasn't, never was. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a brutal, uh, straight-ahead fighter. And, uh, you know, I, I, honestly, it, it would be uh, – it would be a tough fit for for some of the places that that are popular now, you know, WWE or, or AEW or whatever, because they just don't have guys that can handle that or can do that or, or, or fit that style. I mean, they got a, they got some a couple of pretty good sized guys, you know, that that are kind of broader likes, but but even those guys try to do spots and things. And and Killer wasn't that way at all. I mean, he's straight ahead fight. You know, if you got in the ring with him, you're going to fight one way or the other. And, uh, you know, so in that respect, he might be a hard fit some places. Um, he wouldn't be for me, uh, you know, doing what I'm doing with SWE. He'd be perfect. And, and, I, and, I, and I love that. I'm, I'm trying to bring a little bit more of that back. And, and uh, uh, I respect that style, you know, that, that, that Killer provided. I mean, it was, uh, it was like, you know, getting a little bit of an alternative look at, at what a wrestler is, you know, and that's, that's what killer, what killer gave you. And, and, uh, I appreciate that. You know, I, I like that. And, and, and that doesn't, that doesn't mean that be for everybody or every, every company, but, uh, you know, a guy like killer can work for SWE any day of the week. Now I've had a chance to, you know, through social media and I've, you know, talked with a few times in person, it's our CAC, but, I got to know uh, his his daughter Tanya, and through that I've seen pictures of you know Killer with you know you know grandchildren, family members, and things like that. Uh, we're talking yeah. about you know Killer Tim Brooks, the man inside the ring. Can you tell us just a little bit about just you know just Tim Brooks, the man, the, the family man, the man outside of the ring? You know, your friend, not not the man in the ring. Well, he he was uh, he was very much a family man. I mean, he. he like everybody else, he made his mistakes along the way, but uh, he was very close to his kids. Uh, uh, you know, Clayton. I know I've known Clayton since he was a little little guy, and uh, he he adores his dad. You know, and, and when you see that kind of relationship, that you know, you know that something had to be right about it. And you know, his daughter Tanya, she she didn't didn't even know about him for a long time, but now she 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 became as close to him too as as. Uh, as Clayton was, and uh, that's just that's the kind of guy he was. He 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 stood up for his own. Uh, whether you were a family member or a friend, that's that's the kind of guy Killer was, and uh, you can always count on him. He have your back, and and uh, you know I can't think of a better a better guy to associate with myself. All right, well, James, one, I'd, I'd like to thank you for joining us today and, you know, talking a little bit about, you know, Killer Tim Brooks, because like I said, that's one thing we like to do here on, uh, you know, Wrestling Memories is remember those that have passed. But before we let you go today, uh, I want to give a little bit of time. Uh, you've mentioned it a couple of times. I mentioned it myself. And you said Tim Brooks would have been a perfect fit in this. I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, SWE and, you know, what you're currently involved with now, because as I said, 2 a.m. on a Sunday. I'm usually up watching it. I'm a late night type of guy. And I love the product. I, I, I love what's going on. And when you watch it, it's got an old school feel. And like you said, someone like Tim Brooks would have fit into that. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, let's talk a little bit about SWE and kind of how that got started. And let's tell our listeners about that because it's available worldwide. So you don't have to be just in Texas to see SWE. Yeah, yeah, you got it. it's on Fight Fight TV. You can you can get it streaming there for free. Uh, you can go back and watch all the earlier episodes and and all the way up to I think I think the live one is shown on Thursday night on Fight. But uh, yeah, we're on Fight Action TV, uh, uh, Right Now TV, which are all streaming networks. We're on quite a few different local stations and picking up more just about every week. We're we're starting on Baton Rouge next this Saturday night on and eight eight o'clock on Saturday night prime time. Um, we're, we're, uh, talking to, uh, uh, Shreveport, uh, Jonesboro, Little Rock, uh, we're on in San Antonio. It, it, it's, 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 uh, 
it's, it's a growing promotion that, that it, you, you said it, it, it reminds us from old school. Well, there's a reason for that. We're trying to, we're trying to bring back some of the traditional values of, of professional wrestling, not, not trying to be old. We, we've got a lot of guys that can do anything you want in the ring. Uh, some exciting wrestlers, but but uh, the, the the old school style it has to do with we have rules and and we respect the referees and and uh, we're trying to be as logical and, and and believable as we can be. Something that people aren't ashamed to, to watch and and not ashamed to be a fan of. And something that people can sit back and and just kind of enjoy and, and, and not have to shake their heads and think oh, that's so silly and stupid, you know, and, and, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're trying to, we're trying to appeal to a, a wrestling fan out there that appreciates that style. And, and I, I think there's a fan base out there that does, and that's, that's what we're going for. We're not trying to compete with WWE or AEW or any other promotion. Really. We're trying to do our own thing. And, and, uh, I think we're, uh, we're off to a really good start with it. Uh, with, you know, we're, we're, we still got things that we're working on uh, production wise. We're getting better. Uh, I, I can't say enough for the crew. You know, they work hard and, and um, it's been a pleasure so far. Uh, Tom Lance and, and Jason Jarrett and Kevin Willard are, are the guys that are kind of behind it. And, and they kind of allow me to do what I know, know what to do. Uh, we've been, we've got uh, Teddy Long involved with us now and, and uh, Joe Laranitis, uh, Animal. Uh, he's he's a part of it, and they're very invested in what we're doing, and, and uh, I'm I'm very happy with that. You know, uh, I I couldn't be more proud of what we what we've accomplished to this point. Yeah, it has a definite. Uh, it definitely has that studio feel, kind of like you know NWA is doing, you know, Billy Corgan's been doing, because you know you're working in a, a smaller building, and the fans are right there. You know, the wrestlers are. You know, a lot of them are interacting with the fans during the matches. And I think that's kind of what makes it, it, it makes it fun. You're not alienating the crowd. They're not just there for the noise. They're actually part of the show. I haven't had a chance to see a taping, but like I said, I, I watch it every week. And you're right. You got a little bit of everything. You got guys like, you know, Chandler Hopkins, Will Allday, Cam Cole, the guys that can do the spots, the guys that can do the, you know, the talking. Right. And then you got guys like, you know, Super Tech's Brent McKenzie. And for our listeners who, think that name might sound familiar. That's the man who, you know, knocked Hernandez on his butt uh, in an infamous locker room video that came out on uh, a few years ago. But, you know, a guy like, you know, Brent McKenzie, you know, like 10 books, this is a man you're not going to see go in the ring and do, you know, uh, the high flying scientific moves. He does a couple, you know, you wouldn't expect a big man to do, but for the most part, he's pretty much bare bones. I mean, you've been on the receiving end of a, of a fist or two from uh, Brent McKenzie, which is why on TV he's under a suspension right now. But you know, you got a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah, well, that, that, that's really intentional. We're we're trying to give give the fans a little bit of everything, but, but mainly giving it to them in a way that they can invest in. And you you got a choice in professional wrestling the way you present it. You can either you can either try to get a reaction from fans, or you can try to make them feel something. And my preference is to try to make them feel something, make them care. And uh, and that's what we're shooting for, and what we're hoping for. And and uh, if we can ever get all this COVID stuff out of the way, then then I think it'll help us in, in along along the way of doing some of that a little bit more consistently. But and and we'll also be working in some bigger venues. Also, uh, the the COVID thing has really kind of uh, made it necessary for us to do some of the things we're doing. But uh, uh, you know, when 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 it loosens up a little bit, I think you'll see SWE moving into some bigger places and and. But the, but the style and, and the intent will always be the same, and that is to make fans care about what we're doing in the ring. Yeah, I noticed uh, on a recent post that you've got a, a former WWE talent coming in uh, in a few weeks in Canton. You're bringing in the boogeyman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's a character, all right. Uh, I have never met him. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm interested in seeing what uh, he might get involved in in this next taping. So I'm sure he'll be a part of it, and we'll see what happens. Well, if he offers you a snack, just turn it down. I, I, I've seen it. It's not It's not good. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, we'll see what com- comes about when he gets involved. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, we're, we'll be bringing in some guys that people recognize from here and there, but my, my, my main goal is to – build our own talent and, and, uh, and 
make them a household name as well. Uh, you talk about Brent McKenzie and 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 guys like Chandler and 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 Will Allday and and uh, you know I could go on and on. Jackson Stone, I could go on and on. You know those, those guys are are very talented, as talented as you're going to find anywhere in the business, and and uh, they deserve that spotlight. And I'm I'm trying to give it to them. And of course, you know we forgot about our champion Tim Storm, who's uh, got a pretty good name himself. Tim has been a guest on our show before. I love talking to Tim. That 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 man's in better shape at his age than I could ever dream of being. But you know, a great guy. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he is. He's a very very dear friend and and uh, a guy that that uh, delivers every time he gets in the ring. And you know, and and we're also working on the ladies ladies side of things. Uh, you know, Jazz is our champion. Uh, you you can't beat her. She's she's the best I've ever been in the ring with. And. Uh, uh, you know, we, we, we're, we're trying to build that division also, and, and, and we're, we're going to improve in that, that area as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited about everything we're doing right now. That's one thing I was going to bring up is the ladies' division real fast because I've watched that. Like you said, Jazz is a champion building up to uh, – she's going to be having a match against Thunder Rosa, which I'm looking forward to. I lo- anytime Thunder Rosa steps in the ring – you know, you've got my attention because I, I love Thunder Rosa. Yeah, I well, I, I've got to, yeah, I've got to, I've got to, to say something about that. I mean, Rosa is a uh, beautiful person and a great talent, and and uh, uh, we love her. Uh, the the problem we have is that she is not being allowed to perform on our TV right now because of the NWA. Uh, uh, not, she is not very happy about it, but uh, and we're not either. But that, that's something that we can't do anything about right now. But we are still working with her. She's got her own promotion starting down in, in uh, Mission, Texas, and and uh, we're going to support that and and uh, work with her and try to promote her own girls. And and uh, you know she's still going to be a friend of SWE no matter what. Well, I'm sorry to hear that because I was looking forward to seeing that match. But you know, you well, got plenty of uh, great yeah. talent in that ladies' division. Uh, one in particular, I'd like to get your opinion on real fast. She's been a guest on here, uh, you know, twice in the past, and you know, you've had a chance to work alongside, you know, her father as well in world class. And one of the girls that's making her name in SWE in that division is Miranda Gordy. Uh, right. Can you tell us a little bit about Miranda? Because, like I said, you worked with her dad, and now you're working with her. Yeah. And I think yeah. she's a great talent. I mean, she's only been in the business for just a short amount of time. Right. She's she's just starting. I mean, she's just beginning, and she's catching on really fast. She's a she's a tough girl naturally. She's a good athlete. Uh, we worked. I went up to Missouri last week and worked with her up there a little bit, and uh, uh, in training situation, and, and uh, she she's intent on being as good as she can be. And I think she's going to be one of the best ones before she's all said and done, but I don't want to rush her. I want to keep her. I want to, I want her to take those steps and, and uh, put her in positions that, that make her grow and help her grow. And, and uh, I'm very proud of what Miranda's accomplished so far. And, and I think she's going to be a, a real asset to us on, in the future. Well, James, once again, I'd like to thank you for joining us. And for our listeners who want to find, you know, SWE, like you said, it's on Fight TV right now. I believe you can also stream it on their website. Here in the Fort Worth area, if anybody's listening, you can see it at 2 a.m. on on a Sunday morning, a brilliant time to watch wrestling. I love it. Actually, I kind of do because it's quiet. My kids are asleep, and I can actually enjoy what I'm watching. I don't have to listen to to, the screaming children. I'm sure, you know, in the future you would be looking for a, a more prime time slot like. But you know what? You're building up. Yeah, they're they're, they're talking to us about that DVR. already. Yeah, yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. And the wonders of DVR. Record it and watch it whenever you can. So, there but Glenn, I'm going to pass go. the mic. Yeah, Glenn, I'm going to pass the mic back over to you because I'm pretty sure our timekeepers uh, look in your direction. Absolutely. Timekeepers give him the eye again, so that means we got to put a wrap on this edition of Wrestling Memories Then and Now. A big thank you to Mr. James Beard and, of course, to the Grizzle Vet Mike McCurdy. I'm Glenn Broggett signing off for this edition. Stay tuned for more thank Wrestling you. Memories thank Then you. and Now.